on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Well, a big thanks to Africa and Andrew for the afternoon entertainment. It is Friday, January 5th. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Jane Mangan chats racing. Paul Corey and Fergal Brennan preview third round FA Cup action. And we'll hear from the Irish men's hockey team ahead of their crucial Olympic qualifiers. And we will wrap up all the latest news headlines. As always, if you want to have your say, you can send us a text on 51552 or send us a WhatsApp on 87 on 2FM. Good evening. Hope you're having a resplendent Friday. Paul Corrie is in studio. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm very good. Happy Friday, Shane. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'm glad we're past the Happy New Year now. It's Happy Friday. We are. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have that. Um, right. News headlines before we crack on uh, with the show. Starting with cricket, Ireland will play India, Pakistan, USA and Canada in Group A at this summer's ICC Men's T20 World Cup. Well, the tournament will be co-hosted by the West Indies and the United States. All of Ireland's group matches will be played on US soil with two matches scheduled for New York and two matches set up uh, to take place in Florida. The top two teams in each of the five groups will advance to the Super 8 stage comprising of two groups of four ahead of the semi-finals and final which will be contested in Barbados on June 29th. From cricket to boxing now it has been widely reported that Katie Taylor has vacated one of her world lightweight titles it is understood that Taylor has vacated the IBF version of the 60kg title if confirmed it will end Taylor's reign as a two weight undisputed world champion and the move would strongly suggest that she is eyeing a third fight against Chantelle Cameron in the uh, super lightweight uh, division Uh, from boxing to the Dakar rally Dubliner and friend of the show, Oren O'Kelly, he was on uh, last year chatting about his uh, preparation for this uh, event. One of the most challenging motorsport events in the world uh, takes place uh, from today until the 19th of January. And uh, the Dubliner, uh, Oren O'Kelly, will embark uh, on the extraordinary journey. Uh, one of the most demanding and perilous motorsport events in the world. The rally covers over 9,000 miles and Oren will be kitted in his letters in the blazing heat of Saudi Arabia and the majority of the race spent in a squat position. He's the first Irishman in this daring endeavour in over 15 years. It's wild stuff. So um, if you do want to follow um, his route, uh, you can check him out on Instagram at Oren.O'Kelly for a front row seat uh, to the action. Um, it is, it's challenging stuff. I don't, Paul, would you be a fan of the, the Dakar Rally? No. <coughs> it's the first I've heard of it. It's a fortnight spent in your letters in the heat of Saudi Arabia. So it's intense. Yeah, 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 very much so. Um, so that is some serious stuff. Not so serious stuff. Pascal Chimbonda. Does the name ring a bell, Paul? It, uh, Paul Jewell and Wigan City. Or Wigan Athletic, Wigan City. What am I talking about? W- Wigan Athletic, Spurs, Sunderland, Blackburn, QPR, Doncaster, Carlisle, a host of other clubs. And also a France squad member at the 2006 World Cup. That is very random. That uh, it was news to me until I started looking into this. So um, all journalists do credit their sources. Uh, a friend of mine, Dan and, and uh, his son Jamie, they live in Manchester and they're uh, fans of Wittenshaw Town who compete in the Northwest Counties League. And the reason I'm bringing up Pascal Chimbonda is because he's a bit of a maverick, a bit of a madman. Um, he got a five-match ban as manager of Skelmersdale United. The club appealed and the club have released, it's gone doing the rounds on Twitter at the moment, the club appealed the ban and they released a statement saying uh, that following the appeal, uh, the five-match stadium ban originally imposed on Pascal Chimbonda uh, was 
too excessive. In order to give effect to this decision, the appeal board have now issued Pascal with a three-match touchline ban instead of stadium ban and issued him with a £50 fine. Although we believe the punishment is still excessive, we are much happier with the outcome as this will allow Pascal to continue working, whereas the original ban, had it been upheld, would have prevented him from doing so. Provided there aren't any postponements over the next few games, Pascal will be able to return to the dugouts in time for our away game at Gig Lane. Yeah, that's, that's a proper venue Gig Lane playing Berry, and in the final line of their statement in other news Pascal is now registered as a player and we could indeed see him play against Berry on uh, Saturday January 27th he must love it <laughs> are you having that or is that just like it's like well that's or it's like that's clever cute or it's like no that's a bit not. of publicity isn't it I mean it's some career that he had and that French team went on to a World Cup final they did they did only they to did. be beaten by Italy on, on penalties so um that's very surprising that he managed to worm his way into the French squad while playing with Wigan Athletic. Like that's not something you'd see every day. Zidane, Abadal, Vieira, Gallas and Makaleli, uh who are Barthez, Willie Saniel, David Trezeguet, Frank Ribery, Jean Alain Boomsong. While at Newcastle United. All the greats. All the greats. And Pascal Chimbanda. So I'm I'm no avid... chance he played in that competition. <laughs> no, sure. he got one cap, I believe, in the lead up to the two thousand six. But right. his form at Wigan, the aforementioned Wigan, uh, got him called up to the squad. So um I just I love it. It's a good story. It's a proper Friday story. Anyway, let's crack on with our FA Cup chat. Fergal Brennan joins us as well. Fergal, any outstanding Pascal Chimbanda memories? Well, I think I'd agree with you, this idea that I can't get my head around he was in that France squad. But I seem to remember, I haven't had time while I've been hold, on hold to check this, I seem to remember he got into the PFA team of the year one season that he was at Wigan. He got the right-back spot. There was one season, I wouldn't say he was fantastic, there must have been a shortage of right-backs, but he, he, he did fairly well and, and Wigan had a solid enough season and he got voted in. I tell so you what. Wikipedia, that at some stage, I'm pretty sure he got, he snuck in one season. You are bang on. Um, You're bang on, Fergal. It's an unbelievable team as well outside of Chimbonda. <laughs> Shea Given, Pascal Chimbonda, John Terry, Jamie Carragher, uh, Gallus, Cristiano Ronaldo, Stephen Jared, Frank Lampard, Joe Cole, Thierry Henry and Wayne Rooney. I'm, did it, this just passed wow. me by that he became the best right back in the world. <laughs> Chimbanda's uh, uh, holding that team together. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Right, let's talk about good right backs. Uh, Seamus Coleman uh, featured for Everton last night in a not so entertaining nil all draw away to Crystal Palace in the first of the third round FA Cup matches. However, the big talking point from that was a Dominic Calvert Lewin red card in the 80th minute. Um, Fergal, I know you covered a beat in Everton, they ha- or in Liverpool, I should say, featuring Everton uh, Football Club. Um, they have appealed this red card and Sean Dyche ha- has said he's he's losing his patience with VAR. Is he right to be losing his patience, understandably? He is. In terms of the decision last night, I think everyone that watched it will have seen that it was taken out of context in terms of how VAR slow it down and minimise the, sorry, maximise the image and then they'll go into into reams in terms of how this was the advice and the directive that's given by the PGMO, PGMOL to referees. Um but I don't see it as it being a standalone issue or a standalone incident relating to VAR that I'd completely object with, object to. We're seeing this on a regular basis, these types of decisions, and then it happens and someone gets sent off and everyone says, I can't believe this has happened. This is this is absolutely ridiculous. So it's it's a decision I completely disagree with, uh, the, the red card that is. Um, but it, it doesn't seem out of kilter with some of the VAR red cards that we've seen so far this season. I don't think it's 
necessarily more ridiculous than, than certain ones that we've seen in the Premier League since the start of the season. Sean Dyche is right to be angry. And Sean Dyche, in reality, he, he's not a fan of VAR. He's made that pretty clear on a number of occasions. And he's not a big fan of the FA Cup either. You think back to his Burnley days, he was quite straightforward about the fact that he'd play a weakened team if they got knocked out, so be it. The situation is different with Everton because there is this hunger to win a trophy because it's been so long, coming up for two decades since he won, won the FA Cup back in back in '95. Um, so that obviously played a role last night, but it, it really wasn't a good game. The weather was dreadful. The football wasn't much better, and it's also opened up the debate about getting rid of FA Cup replays because now you have two Premier League sides that have now got to do it all again, right in the middle of a really busy run of Premier League games. Mm. Where do you stand on that, Paul Curry? Well, I just think to to go back to the VAR decision, I was listening to Sean Dyche's words after the game and he was questioning why officials are now going over to the screen because pretty much every single occasion, I can't think of one off the top of my head whereby the referee has gone to the screen and then not agreed with what the, the VAR team are saying. So it's just becoming a bit ridiculous and it's slowing down the game. And, you know, I was just looking, actually, I was doing a bit of a recap of the year of 2023. And one of the things that I was speaking about was VAR. And if you go back to when Tottenham played Chelsea, 34 minutes were spent on VAR decisions. And it, it goes back to how long it is taking for officials to make these decisions and how long they're spending slowing them down, looking at still images. And it's ruining the flow of momentum of games, not only from a playing experience, but also from a fran- fan's experience, particularly mm. when you're in the ground, you're having a, a Scooby-Doo, what's going on. But last night's decision was absolutely mm. ridiculous. If you look at the reaction of the players, not one player seems to you know, look towards the referee for the game to be stopped or uh, a red card to be brandished. And I don't know, it doesn't feel like that's what VAR brought in to do. I think the offside decisions are good. I think goal line technology is good, but I think the subjective decisions are just too detrimental in the flow of a game. But but doesn't the referee have to, like the the book stops with him, so he has to kind of view it to make that decision, I suppose, would be the argument from Yeah, I guess the pushback to that is they don't seem to be pushing back on what the VAR officials are asking them to have Mm. a look at on the screen. Surely if, Mm. if that's what the VAR team are saying and if that's what the referee is ultimately coming to, surely we can kind of remove that period of drama where yeah. the referee goes and looks at the screen it just seems like a pointless step in, in the process uh, and should FA Cup replays be, be scrapped Paul or are you a purist I, I think for the Premier League teams they will absolutely say that I think the flip side of that is if a championship team or a League One team plays against a Premier League outfit and they manage to nick a draw at home the finances that are potentially mm. available to them can do you know massive things maybe not for championship teams but for League One and League Two teams I can certainly see um you know, the justification around keeping them around. I can't remember who, I think it might have been Jeff Stelling was talking about actually seeding the teams in the third round for, you know, let's say a non-league team or a League 2 team has done well and won a couple of rounds in order to get to the third round. For them to be drawn against, say, like a championship team or a League 1 team isn't exactly a massive payday. But if you were to seed them and give them a, you know, 10x chance of getting a Premier League team away from home that could be massive for gate receipts whether it be home or away and I, I think that would be something that would be in favour of and then you could maybe justify removing the need for replays in the early rounds mm. Perhaps I suppose again to play devil's advocate if, it, if an Eastleigh defeats a Newport County and then kind of the magic of a cup run I suppose and going on That's when, when you can kind of say you get to a third round and you're Sinead. a traditionalist aren't That's you it. you know me Paul <laughs> association football for God's sake um, tonight there are three matches Fergal Wolves Brentford has a bit of an Irish angle Collins v Doherty perhaps uh, Fulham hosts Rotherham uh, but Spurs Burnley what would an FA Cup do for Ange and, and Spurs if they were to go all the way Fergal 
Well, I think it'd be massive. I don't think he needs any more feel-good factor around him. Spurs fans are very enamoured with him. Most of the neutrals in the Premier League, everyone seems to like him. Everyone's been impressed with the job that he's done so far, and justifiably so. Um, when you consider the position that Tottenham were in the back end of last season and, and how he's come in and tried to change things and inject a bit more life into uh, into the place. And I think Tottenham are in a position where they know a title challenge is more than likely beyond them. Um, a top four push is not. I think I think they're right on that. Um, but an FA Cup would be important because they're in that block of teams that supporters want a trophy. They know that the chances of a Premier League title run this season or even maybe next season are probably still too far away. So an FA Cup would, would be quite important for them because it gives an opportunity for some silverware and, and not to be comparing too many situations, but we've seen managers come in, win a cup, and then they are given that bit more breathing space the following season because it's a case of, well, maybe even if the league performance drops off a little bit, well, they won us that cup and we've been waiting years to win something. I think they could be in a position to do that. The the only kind of counter to that would be that the teams that are in and around them in the Premier League table, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, um, I think they'll be looking at this quite seriously this season as well. I know there's a lot of games on the schedule and, and that's a big talking point, but the sense from all of the big teams in the Premier League is that they will take the FA Cup quite seriously this season. I think Tottenham will get through tonight. I don't think they'll have any concerns. They've won three on the run at home. The injuries that they've been dealing with have not completely cleared up, but they're getting a bit better. Um, it ultimately just depends on who, who comes in the next round because if it's the case, as it is with Liverpool and Arsenal on Sunday and Spurs get Man City or, or someone like that, then that could put a, a short shift to it. But if they get a championship team and they get a couple of bit more routine situations and get through to a semi-final, then they're definitely in a position to go on. I'll be interested to see what team he plays tonight, Shane. And the reason I say that is they played Fulham in the League Cup earlier on in the year and they went out in the first round when they played and they were beaten 2-1 on penalties and he made a host of changes. And that's when Tottenham were going really well in the Premier League. And it was probably the only time I've been critical of Ange Postacoglu since he's gone in there because to Fergal's point Tottenham are desperate for silverware and it doesn't really matter what direction it comes from not only for, for Postacoglu and what he's trying to build but the club it's been so long and they've gone you know the final of the Champions League and they've gone deep in Premier Leagues at different times but they failed to get over um, the final hurdle and I thought that was maybe a, a bit of a drop ball earlier on in the year when I just thought okay go deep in the competition Fulham actually went out was it to um, Middlesbrough in the last round I think on penalties and uh, you know Tottenham would have been dealt a really favourable draw. So I'll be interested to see what sort of team he plays. And I, you would imagine Burnley will drop a few players because Premier League is in such focus. But mm. for Tottenham, I think full strength tonight, absolutely. And and don't leave any sort of opening for Burnley to maybe cause a bit of an upset and, and go deep in this competition and try use the FA Cup as a bit of a catalyst to go on and do better things in, in better competitions so that's 8pm this evening half 5 tomorrow because this is supposed to stick with the narrative of teams desperate for a bit of silverware Chelsea Paul uh, they host Preston North End like again it's the same question how big would, would an FA Cup be for Chelsea given their current dilemma and to correct my previous point Fulham are still in the League Cup they play Fulham um, midweek next week but for Chelsea yeah listen the same is true for, for Chelsea and Pochettino as we said for Postacoglu it's a young side they, they need to go deep in competitions. The, the Premier League has been far too inconsistent from Chelsea's fans' point of view. And listen, at different times throughout the season, they've, they've put a bit of a run together. Maybe there's been a bit of hope that they're kind of over some of the previous poor performances and results that they've had. It's all about momentum now for Chelsea in the second mm. half of the season. I don't see them getting top four, but going deep in the different cup, cup competitions is maybe something that could 
be a bit of a distraction to what has been ultimately a very disappointing season. They play midweek in the League Cup and they're in the semi-final to play Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough yeah. And they've got Preston now in the FA Cup. Preston are where you expect them to be in the Championship at kind of middle of the table. So at home, you would expect Chelsea would have far too much. But it's another situation whereby I don't think you can afford to rest too many players because Chelsea need to crack on they need to get through these rounds and with the performance that they've shown previously and um, when they have changed players you know they've they've thrown out some some wobblers um in the Premier League so I think Pochettino maybe changed one or two obviously Jackson has gone to the African Cup of Nations that might actually benefit some fans them. might be happy that with that might yeah. benefit them in the final <laughs> third but another one and you know Fergus mentioned Tottenham and Burnley you would expect Tottenham to get through this is certainly a fixture particularly being a Sanford you'd, you'd see Chelsea getting through yeah can this be a bit of a turning point for, for uh, Chelsea Fergal also I mean in terms of transferring it over to the Premier League no I'd agree with with everything that, that you two have said in, in terms of what the direction that their season's going you, you just don't know what's going to happen next with them it's you know one step forward two steps back with their form they've had a couple of bright sparks Cole Palmer um, has been quite impressive Nicholas Jackson I, th- I think I read a stat the other day that he's had more bookings than Premier League goals which <laughs> kind of shows uh, almost Chelsea's season in a, in a bit of a microcosm but I expect them to get through this and then obviously they've got Middlesbrough midweek as, as Paul mentioned in the in the League Cup probably fancy them to just squeeze to that and um, like to say that to in the final but <laughs> don't say I, squeeze I think, past they will, I, think they will. <laughs> oh, I think I I think they might do uh, just just um but I, I I don't think it makes a big impact on the season certainly in terms of where Chelsea fans would have expected them to be at this point particularly with Pochettino coming in and the CV and the record that he's got I think they would have expected the the project or the process to be a lot further down the road given the investment in the squad and given the, the level of manager that Pochettino is um, but I think so many people involved just have underestimated how difficult it is to get them back on track Fergal just on that point then, do, you, do you think Borough will cause Villa some problems at the weekend? Well this is I've had to kind of skim through the list particularly for tomorrow because there's a huge uh, schedule of FA Cup games this is the one I don't think it falls into upset or, or certainly not into giant killing territory because Middlesbrough are probably pushing for a promotion place in the, in the Championship they got into the playoffs last year Villa are doing brilliantly in the Premier League obviously um, and they've been very very impressive but the their record has not been great I think it's seven seasons on the run they've gone out in the third round Emery doesn't have a brilliant record. I think it was the fourth round that he went out in his full season at Arsenal. And then obviously last season, they, they lost to Stevenage in the third round. They are a team, again, like others that we've mentioned, desperate for silverware, fans would love it, X, Y and Z. But they're, they're kind of a little bit stuck. Obviously, they've got a break because the Europa Conference League won't kick back in until February. But he knows he's got a really good thing going in the Premier League and he needs to balance that against this. And I think Middlesbrough, I've been quite impressed with them. I think Michael Carrick's doing a very good job at home. I think this is probably the tightest uh, one that could be an upset, but I'm I'm kind of not too keen on calling it an upset because they are so closely placed. It's not a you know bottom of League Two side playing against Man City or something like that. It's it's a lot closer, and I yeah I, I kind of fancy Borough to maybe go to a replay uh, if they if they still exist by this time next week <laughs> um, but I yeah I, I don't think Villa will win I, I don't want to go full on Borough will beat them but I don't think Villa will win and on that trend my my pick after going down to the list is actually Sunderland against Newcastle I know that's a massive game and, and 
the rivalry is so fierce when when you think about some of the the local derbies in in the UK. And uh, I just look at, at Newcastle squad and the the results that they've had in the last couple of weeks. I thought they looked absolutely shattered against Liverpool when they when they played them in the middle of the week, and um, that's a, an exhausting fixture to say the least and I would say Eddie Howe and the recent run of form that they've had and the bodies that they're down I'd say he is just fearing this fixture because of what it means to the locals for the first time in his reign as Newcastle manager there's probably a couple of eyes on Eddie Howe now um, with the, oh really? I, <laughs> yeah that, that's obviously he's, he's got time on his side but I mm. think maybe there's a bit of a turning point whereby the fans will maybe start looking at things and saying can we repeat what we had last year? Is Eddie Howe going to be the man to take us on to the next level? He's done an incredible job there, but is he the man to kind of bring them consistently into the top four, maybe challenge for, for different cup competitions? I think they're in a bit of trouble tomorrow when they play Sunderland. I think Sunderland will be right up for it. They've had a good kind of uh, result last week when they played Preston. Will it be Jude Bellingham's brother that comes to the fore tomorrow and, and you know, live on telly, puts his name up and lights? I just can see that being a bit of a sticky one for Newcastle and to kind of Farrell's point maybe not one that they lose but I don't think it's one they'll win Well red Face Sunderland Chiefs have apologised for a serious error in judgement after a bar at the Stadium of Light was decorated in the colours of arch rivals Newcastle ahead of Saturday's FA Cup derby fans reacted with fury when images emerged on social media on Thursday of the Black Cats bar at the Wearside venue with banners proclaiming the messages keep the black and white flying high and we are united while Sunderland's motto Hawaii the lads in red had been replaced with the Geordie spelling Hawaii in black so I don't think that comes across in radio the, the two different Hawaii and Hawaii <laughs> if there's any new I'm not sure it's the radio Shane I think yeah. it might be your pronunciation <laughs> well I don't want to butcher an accent but it adds fuel to the fire for a proper derby that's a 12.45 uh, tomorrow uh, let's chat Arsenal-Liverpool because probably well most definitely is the tie of the round um, Fergal will this be shadow boxing with, with the Premier League title situation or will this be two teams going at it I think it'll be turned down a little bit from the Premier League game just before Christmas, which for me, I think has been the game of the season so far in terms of the evenness, um, the intensity, the quality on display. I think we'll see a similar level. I don't think either manager really, given the fact that it's kind of like a proxy battle on the side of the Premier League, will make too many changes. I think we see a couple of squad players coming in. Um, obviously, AFCON is a factor for Liverpool with with no Mohamed Salah and Wataro Endo away for the for the Asian Cup with, with Japan. I, I, I maybe ever so slightly tip for Arsenal because of no Salah, um, no Mo Salah. I think the way that it, it's very difficult because Arteta's not got a brilliant record against Klopp. He's only won twice um, across all competitions and in London and in Liverpool. And Liverpool, when they turn it on, I, I do think they've got a bit of a hold over Arsenal. I think despite the progress that Arsenal have made, Liverpool's one of them teams that you do get the sense sometimes that they can just strong arm them in situations because they've got that bit more experience. Um, but I, I just got a feeling I'd just be tipping for Arsenal. And I think particularly with, with Salah missing and Jurgen Klopp was quite pragmatic about it in the build. And he said, you know, we know this rolls around with AFCON and we know that Mo goes away and that's something that we have to deal with. They've obviously got the players to come in, Jota, Nunez, Diaz. Nobody replaces Salah in that team. And, and that's going to be a big thing for them. Uh, not just in the FA Cup this weekend, but in the next couple of weeks and depending on how far Egypt go in the tournament. Um, 
So yeah, maybe just a slight edge to Arsenal, but I think it'll be a really, really good game. Is there a big worry, Fergal, around Liverpool with, with these coming games? Like you mentioned Diaz, Jota and Nunes. No, none of them have really looked too fluid or confident front of goal. Are, are they worried about not only Salah's goals, but his contributions in the final third being absent in the coming weeks? To an extent, yeah. Um, I, I think the Liverpool fans are still very positive about Darwin Nunez. I know from a lot of opposition fans, they love to kind of pile on him and there's a lot of jokes and a lot of social media content flying around about his, his finishing and how erratic he is. The Liverpool fans are really making a combined effort to be like, look, this guy does have quality. It's just not clicking and it's certainly not going to click if we're not being screaming him behind him and backing him and backing him and backing him. I just think it's the level of, of mm. Salah that he is the main man in that attack. Whatever setup they go with, whichever all the two players play with him, or even whoever plays in midfield, he's the guy for goals, for assists, for for everything. Um, that's going to be the issue because he he's still such a focal point where they always look for him when they get forward. The the interchanges of passes, they're always looking for him as the out ball, and when he's not there. The makeup of that front three does change quite a bit. So, Klopp made a bit of a joke about it, saying that he hoped Egypt would be out early and Japan would be out early. Um, obviously, he's tongue in cheek. He's he's not serious about that, and it's likely to be Salah's last Afcon based on his age. You, you would imagine. Um, but realistically, more than two or three games, then it would be an issue. Um, but it's just such a, a fluid situation because Egypt could be out in the group stages, and the impact is minimal. We just don't know. How do you see it playing out, Paul? Who's going to win? Yeah, I, I, I kind of tend to agree with Fergal. I, I think that Salah situation is is you know so detrimental to Liverpool. I, I'm not convinced on Nunes today. He kind of reminds me of Nicholas Jackson when I see him playing for Chelsea. They don't really seem to have that coolness or that calmness in front of goal that you, you tend mm. to associate with top, top strikers. He's, I'd say, an absolute nightmare to play against. And... You know his ability, his strength, his pace to run in behind you would be uh, a nightmare. But I just don't see that coolness. And I think when you take the goals and you take that threat from Salah out of Liverpool, they haven't got Mane and Mane's goals what they had previously. And and Firmino, that three, I think was was probably a little better than the one they have today. And Salah becomes more important to that Liverpool team so I think Arsenal will win um, they haven't been on a, a fantastic run of form of late the results against West Ham and Fulham were you know a bit a bit ropey mm. towards their Premier League chances so I think Arteta will be looking at this game and he'll probably go full strength or, or close to full strength to try to get them back on some f- level of form and some momentum behind the squad as they kick start in the second half of the league and I, I think they've got enough there Shane Hopefully we do see some cup upsets that's, that's what everyone wants in the FA Cup Um Bristol City perhaps might upset West Ham and I mentioned them Paul because the Irishman Adam Murphy um, has joined uh, Bristol City as well and do you want to get your thoughts uh, on that is that a a good move right move will it work out for him do you think I was joking with Marie Crow in the other day that there was compensation or training compensation due to St. Pat's and I had Adam for three years and I still haven't got a call to say that I'm (laughs) I'm due a couple of quid (laughs) well who knows who knows Uh, hopefully it works out well I see Dawson DeVoy's drop down to Swindon um, as well Lincoln confirmed Jack Moylan's uh, move um, as well so hopefully hopefully it does work out Adam Adam to Bristol City Bristol City's a really good club I mean they sold uh, Adam Scott to Adam or Alex I think it might be Alex Scott to Bournemouth at the beginning of the season for 20-25 million they brought him in um, from the guts of nowhere so they bring talent in they give them opportunities and they sell them on so brilliant place for Adam to go into Dawson Devoy and Dara Burns I'm Actually a little surprised that it didn't work out because I thought it was a, a really good fit with MK Dons for both of those players and um, fit the mould of what they look for in that club. Um, 
good that Dawson's got out to, to Swindon and maybe that's an opportunity for him to kickstart maybe it might be a better environment where he's given opportunities another good club mm. um, just when you look at the DNA of, of what and the type of clubs I like to see Irish players going to Swindon fits that mould and for Dara Burns who came back you know that's obviously one where maybe he didn't have the opportunities to join other English teams but he'll do well at, at Shamrock Rovers and, and to finish I think Jack Moylan has all the tools to, to go and do well at Lincoln he's got the physicality to be able to deal with the lower leagues of English football which you desperately need because it is a more physical league than the one we have here and I think you know his his ability in the final 30 show that shows his, his goals his assists mm. his contributions are up there so he's got a friend in Danny Manju that always helps hopefully he'll get some minutes early on and uh, yeah we wish him all the best Absolutely Fergal final word um, to you I know you mentioned Borough and Villa as being a potential upset in inverted commas upset are there any other potential upsets that I could get excited for City at home to Huddersfield where else should I be looking Fergal it's difficult uh, it's highly unlikely maybe, re- really looking at the fixture yeah because because there's either there's quite a lot of all Premier League games and then the Premier League games where they're, they're playing a, a side outside the top flight it's a, normally a relatively okay mm. championship team that you'd imagine they just shrug off possibly tonight Fulham Rotherham um, just because obviously the prospect of the League Cup semi-final in midweek Fulham don't have the biggest squad um, and obviously a semi-final you're a couple of steps away from Wembley it's going to be difficult they're up against Liverpool of course maybe that might be one this evening that, that I would be looking at um, but I, I just think we're in a position of quite a few all Premier League ties but that then also means there might be more excitement next round because there's going to be a good chunk of Premier League teams that have been knocked out obviously Palace, Everton went to a draw last night so we're going to have to wait and see but by the end of the weekend there'll be um, there'll be Premier League teams that are already out and their, their chances of that's the interesting thing about the FA Cup their chances of silverware will already be over if you're a mid-table or lower mid-table Premier League team that's it your, uh, your, your chances of picking up a trophy in um, April or May time is, is finished uh, and, and that's that's just the way the FA Cup is. That's that's why there's so much excitement around it. I'm just having a little look at the list here. No, Fulham Rotherham, Fulham Rotherham tonight. I I think could be one, just because Marco Silva would have to look at it and say, midweek's the priority. Getting a positive result against Liverpool, and if we bow out of the FA Cup as a result, so be it. Semi-finals don't come along that often. Just looking at the starting lineups here for the Brentford and Wolves game. So Nathan Collins starts, uh, Matt Doherty also starts, and Joe Hodges on the bench. Oh, brilliant! And uh, Nathan Collins needs a good run of games. Um, he has looked confidence, short, confidence, confidence, short yeah. of confidence. I think is is a polite way of putting it. He was poor when they played um, uh, Wolves at home. He, you know, he was. Mm quite involved in some of the goals that they conceded there and it's been probably a turbulent kind of 12-24 months from you know if you think of he, when he was at Wolves it didn't really go to plan he and this was going to be the big move yeah then and, he's gone into Brentford and it hasn't yeah. really worked out and I think he's looked maybe short of confidence when he's played for Ireland at different times so uh, one to keep your eye out in there and, and also good to see that Matt's involved Absolutely. Um, we never mentioned Wigan Manchester United, but that is Monday, so leave that to Marie Crow and Ruby Welsh. Perhaps we might see an upset there with Manchester United winning a match. And um, Paul Curry, Fergal Brennan, thank you both very much. We're chatting hockey next. Game on on Two FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Seventy Two Hour Advanced Deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin.
Now the Irish men's and women's hockey teams have their last chance at qualifying for this year's Paris Olympics coming up at a tournament next week in Valencia, Spain. Yesterday we heard from the women's team and today we're focusing on the men's team. We'll hear from captain Sean Murray shortly but first here's Ireland's legendary goalkeeper David Hart speaking to BBC Northern Ireland's Nigel Ringland and the conversation began uh, with Nigel asking David about the pressure of this Olympic qualification tournament ahead. I think so but it's the manner in which you approach it. If you see it as pressure, then it might be pressure. But if you see it as an opportunity to go and inspire the next generation, like the men's team had after the 2016 qualification, for me personally, this will be my fifth Olympic qualifying tournament. And I know how close it can go right down to the wire. Um, the small margins and the small details that make a big difference at the end and also the knock-on effect it has for the future generations obviously this is quite a new young up-and-coming squad as well and for myself a bit of the older side of the group obviously uh, you see what the women did from their 2018 and then the qualification for Tokyo and of course we know exactly what's at stake for us as well to inspire hockey for men for boys on this island you've been as you say through so many of these uh, these these tournaments before oh, how impressed have you been with the coaching staff here after the the narrow failure and everything all the controversy surrounding the ending in in vancouver a few years ago so many retirements people stepping away from the from the sport how impressed are you with what mark has done because after you know COVID comes along you have no tournament hockey you've almost got to build a squad not quite from scratch but how impressed have you been with with the job that that he has done that the coaching staff have done to to get this team in the position now where you go with a very realistic chance of qualifying for for Paris. I think, as you said, all the different hurdles and obstacles that stood in the way of the group of sport, of hockey, was outside everyone's control with Corona, as you mentioned. Uh, And then, of course, to try and get a group ready and prepared to go through what has been the European also that we hosted in Dublin last year to get ourselves a ticket for this qualification tournament. All credit to the staff, uh, backroom staff uh, in in the provinces to keep the boys going, ticking over. Uh, especially those here based in Ireland as well to have their programs week in, week out and now hopefully it will all come to a, to a good ending over in Valencia and that's what everyone will be aiming for once we get over to Spain How much of uh, you've been to, to Rio um, again talking to, to some of the women having been at one they want to get back to a second they, they want that second experience it's almost like the first one goes by so quickly is that the same for you? Absolutely Again, the whole cliché of it's the pinnacle of every sportsman and sportswoman, it is the Olympic Games. It's what it just means to people. It's the reason why why I went and got a tattoo on my chest here. It's the reason why people have that pride behind being an Olympian. And you can take that with you for the rest of your life. And I think we recognise that as a group, as individuals. And you're only represent, not only representing yourself, you're representing your teammates, your clubs, your families, your friends. And that's what also makes it super special as well. You talked there about the small margins of these tournaments. Does this squad, do you believe, have the self-belief? To, to go to Valencia and do what it takes because it'll sometimes it comes down to who wants it more uh, you know you can throw the word rankings almost out the window as well in a tournament like this because every team there all eight teams they want one of those three places I don't think I've looked at the world rankings to be honest with you I think we know our opposition we know we're going Ukraine followed by Belgium followed by uh, an important game against Japan in the group as well and then obviously the forwarder teams in Pool B so from ourselves, yeah, we're, we're fully aware of that. I think there's no point in shying away at the at the task at hand, but at the same time, not to try and make it any bigger than it already is. It's what you said, it's a one-off game. It's a 60-minute match, and then after each game, they'll take it, reassess, and hopefully, at the end of the pool phase, we get those crossovers that everyone's really looking to get into. Just finally, it's a, it's a blend of experience. 
uh, yourself back in there. Shane O'Donoghue obviously came back into the squad a little earlier. Uh, and, and, and obviously the likes of Sean Murray and Johnny McKee we've talked to tonight, you know, around from that last qualification campaign. But some new faces as well. There does seem to be a nice blend of youth and experience in the, in the squad. When you came back into it again, how, how surprised were you? Is, is the atmosphere good? Or is this squad ready to go there and compete next week? Well, we have to be. It's not a question if it isn't. We have to be. And I think the group should be in that position to do so right now. Getting over that bit earlier to get acclimatised. Obviously, it won't be too warm, but you'll get used to your surroundings, the pitch, the hotel, the journey. Get yourself visualising what it's going to be like that game one against uh, Ukraine. What's, I think, a late game, if you think about it, I think it's 8.45. Um, and then taking on the world number two side in Belgium uh, the day after. So I think at the end of the day, if people ask us, you know, are you ready or not? It's a question is, yes, we have to be right now. Preparation has been done, um, all the T's have been crossed, all the I's have been dotted, and now it's a simple case, well, I say simple, it's now up to us to show up and perform. <laughs> Sean, you just said to me there, you can't wait to get going, it's it's obviously been a bit of a while outside the tournament play, but you know they don't come much bigger than, uh, than an Olympic qualifier, is the squad ready to go? Yes, 100%. Uh, as you said, Olympics is the big one in hockey. You know, you get the World Cup as well, but Olympics is the dream. Uh, for when you're young, you want to play in Olympic Games. And we've waited around now since after Tokyo, and we're ready to, to make sure we qualify for uh, Paris. It's quite a checkered pass that the, the Ireland men's team have with Olympic qualifiers. You know, I've long enough to remember back to 20, you know, 2012 and the game against Korea, and then, of course, what happened in... In Canada, you know, back uh, back uh, four years ago, um, it's, there's so much pressure, you know, in, in, involved and, uh, and so much at stake. How do you, as a squad, kind of keep your, you know, a level head, I guess, through all of that? I think just trust in what we've been doing. Um, of course, yeah, I can remember being back as a kid watching the 2012 one where they narrowly missed Korea. And I was there, uh, not in Rio, but for the in Canada for the qualifier for Tokyo and we narrowly missed out. So it hurt, but a lot of us were there and we're ready to, you know, make sure we do enough to qualify. And we've done the prep with Neville and Thomas coaching staff. And uh, yeah, we're just... Topping it a bit to go. Do you use what happened this, uh, in Vancouver as motivation? Is that is that a motivating factor? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, it's not it's not quite revenge that you're looking for. It's you're looking for that place in in Paris. But with the motivation of how you felt that day, not wanting to repeat it. Yeah, definitely. Of course, it's top-level sport. You know, anything can happen, and it didn't go our way uh, last time and before Tokyo. And hopefully, this time it does. But again, we can trust in our preparation, and we know we're ready. So that's all we can we can do. It's obviously two stages of this tournament. Really, you've got to get through the pool, top two, and then you're into the you know the playoffs. Uh, when you look at the opposition, Belgium are a team you know well. Um, you know, there are not too many teams better than them in the world. Ukraine, you actually know well, having played them in the in the summer, but it's probably going to come down perhaps to to a game against Japan, a, a team where there is not actually that much history between the two countries. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Belgium are definitely the favourites, of course, but we know we can get at them as well. Uh, Ukraine, we played in the summer, so we know a lot about them as well, and we can be confident that we beat them in the summer to qualify for the qualifier. Japan, we haven't played too often, uh, but we know if we play our best game, we can definitely get the result needed to go into the semi-finals. You go in as the fourth-ranked team, three places up for grabs. That does make you underdogs, um, because if you qualify, you'll be playing above your 
your world ranking essentially Ireland teams do like maybe like the, the tag of underdogs a little bit more than uh, than, than favourites uh, can you play can you use that to your advantage yeah definitely the underdog mentality I think as an Irishman it's 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 big all around the squad we love it you know we've done it lots of times in the past where we've maybe been out for the count and we've come back and, and we've succeeded so hopefully we can use that again and if it comes down to the dime minutes you know we'll be confident in ourselves a lot of competition for places in the squad. How nice is it? Uh, you know, Davy Hart is back. You know, Donoghue's obviously been back for for a while. But there's a nice blend of experienced guys who have been through this before. Um, but some 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 really fine new players. You know, for, and for some, this will be a first taste of a, of an Olympic qualifier. Yeah, definitely. I think the as the cycle goes, there's always guys you know, who retire and new guys come in. But from the guys coming in as their first Olympic qualifier, you know, I think they're ready. They're confident. You know, they played a tournament in the summer, the Europeans, uh, and the older guys like Dave and Shane, who bring vast experience. Know they've been there before. They've been to the Olympic Games before. We can really feed off that and and bring it around the squad. Just a final question: That there is so much at stake, you know, getting to the Olympics. It lifts the profile of the sport. It has funding implications. There's so much that goes around gaining that place at uh, the Olympics. I, I asked Sean Dancer this yesterday. He said actually, instead of trying to avoid those issues, he, he wants the team to embrace them. He wants them to, to to understand what it means to qualify and the implications of qualifying for an Olympics. How are the men's team? Do you? Is it, it's maybe not something you think about, but are, it must be at the back of your head because you know what's at stake and what a place at the Olympic Games can mean. Yeah, it means everything. You know, as I said at the start, it's it's a dream as a kid to go to the Olympic Games, and hockey sometimes doesn't get you know the profile of other sports, uh, and it's a way to you know after all the hard work we put in and a lot of sacrifice, of course, as well to make it to the Olympic Games for the sport and to inspire the, the younger generations as well is very important. So that was Sean Murray and a little bit earlier David Hart speaking to Nigel Ringland of BBC Northern Ireland as the Irish men's hockey team prepare for their crucial Olympic qualifiers. We are going to take a short break but Jane Mangan is standing by with all the latest from the world of horse racing. Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin. Game on on 2FM. Now you're very welcome back to Game On on this Friday evening. Shane Dawson with you until 7pm. I'm delighted to say that Jane Mangan is on the line, as is tradition of a Friday, to chat uh, racing. Jane, you're presenting coverage on RT television of the festive racing at Leopardstown. And then you're back on the radio. Did you ever get some time off, no? I did. I had a lovely New Year's. Oh, but okay. it's great to have Shane and Jane back together because we're back to basics mm. and racing never stops. Sport never ends. And we have a living to make, so we're we're <laughs> defying the weather forecast, and it's looking forward to a busy weekend. Absolutely, we will chat about the weather uh, at a couple of UK uh, race courses, but let us focus on domestic action. And Sunday, Nace, big Grade One at two PM, Lawlers of Nace, novice hurdle, Jane. Yeah, this is a proper race. It's a race that you know, with all the Grade Ones we had over Christmas, you'd think mightn't be that strong well it is there's eight runners okay five of them are from Willie Mullins's but they're all in their own way uh, impressive maiden winners uh, and decent novices and they're coming in and they're not even favourite because their current favourite at the moment is Firefox Jack Kennedy and Gordon Elliott had a wonderful Christmas can they keep up the momentum this guy won Three bumpers. Uh, he won at Fairy House and he's maiden hurdle beating none other than Ballyburn, who absolutely destroyed a strong field at Leopardstown in a maiden. So the form is stacking up and this guy looks like two and a half miles 
is made for him. Um, he's extremely exciting. Um, but Paul Townend and Patrick Mullins and Team Mullins will try and, and get the better of them. Paul Townend has gone for Il Atlantique, the horse that won by 20 lengths at Goran back in November. That leaves Patrick to ride Chapeau de Soy, the horse that he won in Clonmel. Um, Danny Mullins is riding Leckie Watson. And in and around 14 to 1 is a horse called Mystical Power. Now, I don't know if this horse is going to handle heavy ground, and it is going to be heavy. But this horse is two from two after winning a Ballinrobe in Galway over the summer. He's by Galileo out of any power. And he just happens to be forgotten about. I think he's he's he, he's kind of in the could-be-anything category. Uh, throw in of the others, Rachel Blackmore and Henry de Bromhead team up with a horse called Untubber. I was disappointed with him in the Royal Bond, I won't lie. I think the two and a half miles would bring out a better improved, uh, improved performance from him, but it will need to be improved because it looks like this is a stronger race than the Royal Bond. And Sam Ewing rides Crow Park for Gordon Elliott, a horse called Crow Park. They must have always known he was going to be good because <laughs> it's a big name. And uh, he won a grade three at, at Navan last time. So that's just such a, a, a deep race, the Lawlers of Nace. If we're under any illusions as to the depth of quality in the country, because you have a number of grade ones just run at Christmas and you can fill a race like this with this quality of quality of a field you don't have eight runners and some handicaps in the UK and we have eight what appear to be very decent horses in a grade one very much excuse me very very much looking forward to that uh, as you mentioned it's going to be a cracker um, that's the only grade one but is there anything else that catches your eye at Nace before we chat about Cork tomorrow there is yeah there's a it's a relatively small field Mayor's Beginner's Chase but I like uh, Brandy Love she was uh, a grade one performer over hurdles Let's see what she can do in her second start over fences. The novice chase is interesting as well. Safuer was a fortuitous winner last time at Fairy House, but he might be able to step forward. Former Triumph Hurdle winner Quilixios is in there, but the current favourite is Mr. Policeman, who I thought fell in at Fairy House last time. With him, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and of the other races, there's a maiden hurdle there, 235. I'm a big fan of Tully Hill. I was very disappointed with his jumping last time on his on his hurdles debut. He'd be a warm order, but Tully Hill looks like he's a big engine from what we saw in bumpers. Let's see if he can translate it and brush up his jumping. Okay, some big names at Nice uh, on Sunday. I mentioned Cork sticking with domestic uh, action. Uh, there's a meet uh, at Cork tomorrow, Jane. There is, yeah, my local track. Uh, seven, uh, seven race card. Uh, a variety on uh, on show here. It will be tough, heavy ground. There's an interesting handicap chase there at three o'clock. Uh, Revelin Pleasure going for back-to-back wins after winning in heavy ground at Limerick over Christmas. Uh, old Soul in that one for Liz Doyle. Definitely as a chance. Beginner's chase, handicap hurdle. The handicap hurdle at two o'clock. I like the Capo Glory for local connections. Uh, Dar Allen taking seven pounds off the top weight there. Um, but it is an interesting card and hopefully... Um, the ground won't be too testing, albeit I know Cork is a very flat track and if the jockeys are nice and sensible, they'll have no problems. Hopefully the ground isn't too testing, but at least there will be action all going well. Unlike um, at a couple of courses uh, in the UK, the weather is causing a bit of havoc over there this weekend, I'm right in saying. There is, yeah. Look, even Paul Nichols's yard uh, just outside Somerset had to be, some of the horses had to be taken out of their stables. They say the word evacuated, but you know, that's a little bit dramatic. They had to be taken out of their stables because there was water, you know, rising inside. Um, the, the yard flooded and um, it was one of those flash floods where the horses just had to be moved. Um, so that, you know, Sandan just outside London had to be um, abandoned, a quite a good card. And then there'll be other tracks on Weather Watch to see if they can survive um, 
the weather because Wink Canton's on tomorrow. You have a couple of all-weather tracks on the flat, which will be fine, but Sandown had to abandon early and uh, hopefully we don't get uh, the downpours that they're getting. Absolutely. Um, sticking with UK racing, because uh, interestingly, when, when we started a conversation a few minutes ago, you mentioned, you know, sport never stops, racing continues. There is a lot of racing. And, and that leads me, that reminds me of a comment I heard uh, AP McCoy, I think, on ITV's racing coverage about his New Year's wish was um, less race meets, basically, or a cap on, on the amounts, I think it was. Like, listen, I know the schedule's already agreed, it's, it's set in stone, but would you share his sentiments? Yes, this is something a lot of people have been beating the drum for a long time, but the BHA, the regular, the regulator, and basically the boss in the UK um, don't seem to be listening because the population of horses that are in the UK don't seem to facilitate competitive racing. And I'll give you an example. Wink Canton tomorrow, there is a seven-race card. The first race has five runners, second race has seven, third has five runners, fourth race has ten. The third last has seven, the second last has seven, and the last race has six. So only one of those races facilitates first, second, third, each way betting. That is not competitive. Mm. And um, the obvious answer would be to reduce the number of fixtures. But of course, the income um, earned by the UK structure, the how racing funds itself, is through the levy board which is obviously money bet on races so the more races you have the more levy you get but people who are not interested won't bet and if the racing isn't competitive why would they so it's a little bit of a catch it's not it's not a simple solution but what ap mccoy is saying he's not alone in saying it and it's been said for many years now and it's a little bit like you know there's a problem but nobody seems to be fixing it but it's very difficult, I suppose, to get the answer. And so the, the purists that will be attending Ludlow and Southwell this evening and and, and, and many yeah, other places. In, in this country, we have very competitive racing and the easy thing to do would be to have more and more of it. But you would dilute the product and you'd make a boring product. I think we have enough racing. I wouldn't be for adding on any more. I'd like to keep it competitive because that means we stay as good as we can be. And you need to have good horses in the in this country to win. I often see Irish horses going to the UK to win races that they would never win here. That's why they're going across there because everybody knows that there is weak races to be won in England. And that isn't me um, throwing paint at them, but it's quite obvious if you have more opportunity to win, mm. then you you will find an easier opportunity than if there is less racing over here and bigger fields. That is a very interesting point. Um, and I suppose it will be interesting to see if uh, there will be uh, changes going forward. Um Come here. Did I, you I, get to watch Leopardstown, Shane? That's I did. What I, want to know. I did. did you, that's did you, that's it was my. Did you have a good time? I did. I did. I, I, you were uh, presented brilliantly on the 29th, actually. Um, I, I believe it, it was, and it was with Hugh and Ruby and, and the whole gang as well. So yeah, I was tuned in. What were I suppose the highlights and where to next for some of the the big names? Yes, well, hopefully plenty of them will reappear at the Dublin Racing Festival at the first weekend of February at Leopardstown again. Um, that was there, was, there was some spectacular performances. Obviously, the headline was, was Gallop and Deschamps and the Savile's Chase. I don't think anybody, even if you expected them to win, I don't think you expected them to do it by 23 lengths. Um, I thought a Gaelic Warrior was really good down in, in Limerick. Um, I thought Hewick was the result of, of the year, like arguably of the season so far in the, in the King George of Kempton. Um, and of the novices, Caldwell Potter was very good. 
Um, you couldn't but be impressed with Marine Nationale in a beginner's chase. OK, it wasn't the grade ones that we were watching, but he was flawless in the beginner's chase. And I remember thinking, that's the Arkle winner. I think we've seen the Gold Cup winner. And there was a mayor one, uh, I think she won a maiden hurdle called Jade de Grugy. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jade de Grugy, who a lot of our listeners won't be familiar with, she's only been seen in Ireland once if she were to be a very live candidate for the Mayor's Novices Hurdle at Cheltenham as well. So hopefully we get to see them again in uh, in February and give us a little bit more evidence. But the, the market's definitely restructured after some of those really competitive grade ones. And I think anybody who came to Leopardstown got a show, whether it was Stateman, you know, c- confirming his superiority in the two-mile chase division, whether it was Galloping de Champ redeeming himself after getting beaten, there was a great atmosphere at the races and with the attendance figures the way they were, it was it was a healthy sign, Just not even just as a sport, but as a country. The Irish people love sport. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. On that positive note, we're going to have to leave the conversation there. But Jane Mangan, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. Blotnett Tracy is up next with the official chart show. So do stay tuned to 2FM. Big thanks to uh, Ronan, Max and Doc who worked on uh, today's show. Marine Ruby will be back with you on Monday uh, with Game On from 6pm. Uh, but from all of the Game On team, have a great weekend. Bye-bye. RTE 2FM.